All right, go ahead and open your Bibles and get out something to take notes with this morning. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Good looking crew this morning. Let's go ahead and tell your neighbor I'm glad you're here. Be a little less exciting if any one of us was the only one here today. Matthew chapter 5. Has anybody, has anybody been here one of the last three weeks? Any of the last three weeks? So thankful for the people who've been preaching. We had my dad, had my wife, Karis Frigi. Amazing. So encouraged. I don't know if you know this, but it's a ridiculous blessing that we have people like that in our church that can come up and uh, help lead us in what God's saying. And uh, it's not really normal to have that many powerhouses just coming up and using their gift to minister to us. Such a blessing to be a part of the house of God. Amen. They uh, were talking to us. They basically did, a, a, what, what do we call it? Part two of a series we started the year with. We've been talking about what God spoke to us as a church at the beginning of the year. This word, turn aside. Turn aside out of Exodus chapter three. And uh, my dad and Karis and Heather did a great job of bringing us back to that because we all need reminding of things. I usually forget what God said yesterday, let alone at the beginning of the year, right? I'm so thankful for how they uh, helped us continue to be shaped by the word of God. And really, we've been learning all year, what does it mean to, to be a people who turn aside? That is a cool sounding word from God. Uh, I'm, I'm all for Exodus chapter three, but what does it look like in our lives lived out? And we've been trying to dig into that all year. And as we started the year, I didn't know what the journey would look like that God was going to take us on to help us kind of digest the word that he was speaking to us. But now in August, hello, it's August. It's like school starting soon. And I have kids in school. I'm old. Anyways, back to the message. I am, I've been doing some reflecting and realizing that God's been kind of writing this three-volume work for us to read this year on what does it mean to turn aside. And, and the core of the message that God's been sharing, us, sharing with us this year is, I want you to turn aside from self-centeredness. So volume one of, you know how like you read a book and you're like, some books are big and then some books are really big, but then you have people who think that there's something worth writing that takes multiple big books. And so the books are volumes, but it's all one book. Do you even know that those are out there? <laughs> God's been doing that to us this year. The, the, first, the first volume of how to turn aside from self-centeredness that God wrote to us this year was biblical formation. If you were here at the first quarter of our year, we talked about how do we repent from a self-centered worldview and how do we be reformed from a self-centered faith? So that was kind of volume one. We didn't know it was volume one, but it was. And now as I'm looking back, I didn't realize it at the time, but volume two was letters from Jesus. A series we finished up a few weeks ago talking about the seven letters of Revelation. And as I'm looking back on it, I didn't have the, the, the foresight at the time, but as I'm looking back on it, I'm seeing that that was volume two where Jesus was teaching us to turn aside from a self-centered perspective and turn to an eternal perspective. Isn't that what the letters from Jesus were all about at the end of the day? Don't get so wrapped up in yourself. Keep your eyes on eternity, the bigger picture. Jesus is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. You are part of so much, you're part of a much bigger story than just the story in yourself. Turn aside from that small perspective and let Jesus open our eyes with an eternal perspective. 
So those are volumes one and two. And so today we are going to be starting volume three this year. And it's probably going to take us pretty much to the end of the year. This one's going to be the biggest, probably the biggest series we've ever done. We're calling it Christian Living. I want you to write it at the top of your page, Christian Living. I want you to write down that the aim of this series is to learn from Jesus, how do we reorient from a self-centered lifestyle? A self-centered lifestyle. We're gonna be spending probably like the next 15 to 20 weeks or so in Matthew chapter five through seven, the Sermon on the Mount, learning from Jesus, how do we take the worldview that God's been trying to form in us, the, the Christ-centered faith that he's trying to draw us to, the eternal perspective he's called us to, those are all big things. How do we live it out? How do we live this out every day? How do we live this Christian life as a lifestyle? Like we did with biblical formation, we're gonna be splitting this up into a lot of sections and themes to help us not get lost, because that's a long time. I'm, I'm intimidated. I'll just go ahead and say it up at the front, but I think it's gonna be great. So today we are starting Christian living. We're gonna be here for a while. We're, and uh, like I said, like in biblical formation, we're gonna have sections that have multiple parts because that's how I think, and you guys, I don't have the microphone, so you gotta come along with me. Christian Living, section one, we're just calling preface, because Jesus starts with a preface to his whole Sermon on the Mount. Before he starts getting into a bunch of stuff, his first few parts, if you look at your Bible, just the subtitles, the first few subtitles are in many ways a preface. Jesus is setting the stage for what he's trying to accomplish in us and what he's trying to speak to us about in this Sermon on the Mount. So Christian Living, section one, preface, part one, called Kingdom People. Kingdom People is the title of today's message. Are you feeling lost already? I hope not. So we're gonna start in Matthew chapter five, verse one. And I'm gonna ask you to go ahead and stand for the reading of the word of God. You've probably heard of these verses before called the Beatitudes. Whether you're a church person or not, you've probably heard of this before but we're gonna read it and hear from God this morning. Matthew 5, verse one. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up to the mountain and he sat down and his disciples came to him. I usually pray at the end of the verses, but I'm gonna pray after that one. Lord, I pray that we would come and sit down in front of you, that we would be disciples who come to you to hear what it is that you have to teach us and say to us. We're praying that you would Make us kingdom people. You would teach us how do we live this life that you've called us to? How do we live this faith that you have called us to? Lord, I pray that you'd give us an ability to focus and understand and hear from your Holy Spirit. Give us revelation as we do it. Make us um, hungry and humble as we come into your word. Whatever it is that you have to say, say it in Jesus' name. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets 
who were before you. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. Jesus didn't just change the world because he came with a message. Jesus changed the world because he came with a kingdom. The church is not just a gathering on Sunday morning. It is a whole new kingdom society inaugurated by Jesus, through Jesus. And every society has norms. Our society has norms, you know, things you just know to do because you know to do them or things you don't do because you just don't do that. Like you don't make eye contact in the elevator, right? You just, it's, you just don't do that. Every society has norms. The definition of norms would be something like typical standards or patterns expected of a social group. There's norms that undergird every society and the Beatitudes are Jesus laying out for us the norms of his kingdom society. These are the norms of kingdom people, people who have reoriented their lives from being self-centered to being kingdom-centered. If we're going to be a people who understand how to live out this Christianity that we have given ourselves to, if we are going to be people who live our Christian faith, we need to understand that we are kingdom people. We belong to a different society that runs on different norms. I was going to title this message, This is Different, but I didn't. But I think that's an understanding that we all need to grasp and get a little bit more comfortable with because I think for some of us and sometimes we can be so drawn to be as, as undifferent as possible for the sake of, I don't know, being relevant or comfortable or whatever it is. But there is no getting around the fact that if you read this list and you understand these are the norms of God's kingdom, you cannot look at this list and the list of norms of our society and not say, these are different. This is different. This is different what we're called to. And that's what we're going to go over this morning. I'm just going to walk through these one by one as we talk about how do we be a kingdom people? Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To inherit the kingdom, one must be poor in spirit. Poverty of spirit isn't having a low view of yourself. It's having a deep conviction of your need for God. It's understanding that you have no merit before God in your own strength. You cannot live up to his standards. It is the understanding that your sin is deep. And somehow, his grace is deeper. And if a prideful life is the life that God opposes, if, if a prideful life that God opposes is like swimming upstream, then being poor in spirit is like climbing into the raft of repentance and letting the Holy Spirit lead you down the current of grace. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. How uninviting. I don't want to go to that church. <laughs> How uncomfortable. Why, why isn't it blessed are those who laugh a lot? We are drawn to happiness, not mourning. Amen, somebody? We are drawn to happiness, not mourning. And yet there is a, a measure of mourning that is to be normal for those in the kingdom. Because in the light of God, we see the darkness of our own sin. We see the darkness of the world that we are 
part of. D.A. Carson explains it beautifully, I think, when he says this. The Christian is to be the truest realist. He reasons that death is there and must be faced. God is there and will be known by all as savior or judge. Sin is there and it is unspeakably ugly and black in the light of God's purity. Eternity is there and every living human being is rushing toward it. God's revelation is there and the alternatives it presents will come to pass, life or death, pardon or condemnation, heaven or hell. These are realities which will not go away. The man who lives in the light of them and rightly assesses himself and his world in the light of them cannot but mourn. He mourns for the sins and blasphemies of his nation. He mourns for the erosion of the very concept of truth. He mourns over the greed, the cynicism, and the lack of integrity. He mourns that there are so few mourners. You must mourn if you want to enter the kingdom of God. And when you do, the king himself will comfort you. You are comforted when you realize his grace washes you white as snow. You are comforted when you realize that he is the healer of the nations. You are comforted when you realize that he is the judge against all injustice. And there is no depth of mourning that will not be filled to overflow with comfort when he wipes away every tear from our eyes, when he makes all things new. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Our world, our culture, our society tells us that we must grab the earth. Grab the earth, its pleasures, its status, its power for ourselves. But our king calls us to something different. In our worship, in our relationship with God, we must be poor in spirit. In our society, in our relationship with one another, we must be meek. The meek man has approached God by the poverty of his spirit. He has mourned over his sin and been comforted by grace. And in tasting heaven, he has no more need to grab earth for himself or leverage others. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Similar to the blessing towards those who mourn, this is a, a blessing of a life lived in a certain state of discomfort. Hunger, it's like an inner irritating itch that won't go away until you scratch it. Thirst has a way of making things that won't quench your thirst matter, matter very little. Thirst has a way of focusing you towards only that which will satisfy. As kingdom people, we ought to have a hunger for righteousness, 
a hunger for Jesus himself, a hunger that things might be conformed into the pattern of his will. Unrighteousness ought to produce in us an itchy emptiness, not some secret satisfaction. We're to live with a hunger that comes from fasting from the table of the flesh and looking toward the table of the lamb. Looking toward the feast where we will, in the most eternal sense of the word, be filled. Kingdom people live with a thirst. We ought to live with a thirst for righteousness, a thirst for Jesus, a thirst for things to be conformed into the pattern of his will. We must not be a people who who quench our thirst at the wells of the flesh, but thirst for the filling of the Holy Spirit. We believe in Jesus, as the scriptures have said, and therefore rivers of living water flow from our hearts. We drink from the well that never runs dry. We remember the cup of his blood of the new covenant poured out for us, his very own blood. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Jesus' kingdom society operates on mercy, not on rights. When a society is built on individuals who have understood the perfection of God and realized their own poverty of spirit, individuals who have mourned over sin and been comforted by the king's immeasurable grace, individuals who have been transformed by that grace from being selfishly ambitious to selflessly meek, and individuals whose taste of Jesus has ruined their ability to be satisfied by anything else. There is little room left in that society for divisive offense and bitter unforgiveness. Kingdom people enter into God's kingdom by his mercy. And that makes them merciful, which takes them deeper into mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. If we were to look at it one way, the Beatitudes thus far have taken us through a process of purifying our hearts. Jesus' charge to us is not to create in ourselves a pure heart, but allow God to search us and know us, to create a pure heart within us and show us if there be any grievous way in us that he might lead us in the way of life everlasting. We do not and we cannot have pure hearts in our own strength. But Christ himself purifies our heart by his grace. And we choose, and when we choose that pure heart, we see him more and more. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. There are many who shout for peace. There are many who try to live peace, but there are very few who give their lives to make peace. 
The world is looking for the sons of God, co-heirs of the Prince of Peace, to not just talk about peace and desire peace, but to make peace. True peace is only found by being reconciled to God. And being reconciled to God only comes through the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. Kingdom people must hold faithfully to this truth and confidently stand on it. There have been and there will always be many times when the world wants less of this message. But peacemakers know better than to take instruction from chaos. Many times, there have been many times, there will be many times when the world wants more than just this message. But the sons of God trust their father and they believe in the power of his kingdom. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you and falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The kingdom society that Jesus was announcing and that he is describing here, that he inaugurated in this day, has pursued these norms since the first day these words were spoken. It's why you're here today. The kingdom society that Jesus was inaugurating and announcing and describing in these norms has made the world better in every place, every setting, and every time that it has ever taken root. From the individual, to the home, to the neighborhood, to the city, to the state, to the nation, the world has been changed because of kingdom people pursuing living out this kingdom society. Kingdom people have made everything and everyone they have ever touched better. And at some point in every time and place, kingdom people have been tested and tried and persecuted for being exactly who they were called to be. See, the world loves to be improved by kingdom people, but it also hates what they stand for. The flesh wants the fruit of the kingdom, but it does not want to submit to the king. The flesh has no use for a poor spirit, no desire to mourn, no ambition to be meek, no respect for hungering or thirsting for righteousness, no understanding of its need for mercy, no vision to be pure in heart, and no ability to make peace. So we cannot be surprised or thrown off when the flesh fights back. And when it does, we must rejoice and be glad like those who have gone before us and like our king himself, setting our eyes on the great reward in heaven. In these 12 short verses, Jesus paints for us a moving portrait of Christian living. It is absolutely beautiful and terrifyingly intimidating. 
It's like a beautiful painting that catches your eye because you want to look like this, but you don't, but you want to turn away because you know you don't. It's like some sort of awkward mirror that it, somehow you see the ideal of who you are, but the reality of who you are not. Can I be honest with you for just a second here? Um, this list doesn't describe me. <laughs> it makes me pretty uncomfortable. I don't like looking at it too long. I'm talking about it like this up in front of you, I can tell you feel about the same way as me. I can't reach that standard. I can't do this. I am not poor in spirit. I am haughty and ambitious and arrogant. I do not want to mourn. I want to laugh and be happy and numb and avoid all discomfort and conviction. I am not meek. I am inconsiderate and anxious. Oh yes, I hunger and thirst to be filled with many things. Righteousness is not at the top of the list or the center of my desires. Merciful? I am merciful when it makes me feel good about myself. I am merciful when showing mercy gives me the upper hand. I am merciful when mercy serves me. No, I am not merciful. I am hard, severe, and ungiving. And if that's what I sow, what should I expect to reap? My heart is not pure. It is deceitful. And Jesus rightly observed that about me. He rightly observed that my heart is deceitful and, come, and from it comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, and whatever else. How could I be a peacemaker when my self-centeredness is agitating everything and everybody to make sure I get my way? I do not want to be reviled or persecuted <laughs> or have any evil uttered against me, and I do not want to wait for any reward. I want my life, my way, right away, the easy way for free. Does this make anybody else slightly uneasy? If there is uneasiness in you right now, if all of this makes you a little nervous, you are feeling the heartbeat of the new man created in you by the Holy Spirit. You are feeling strength pulsing in you, asking if you would like to conquer your sin. You are feeling what it is like when the living God shows no respect for sin and death and enters into the grave to breathe life into stale lungs. It's kind of uncomfortable. If you are recognizing that you aren't poor in spirit, that's the Holy Spirit leading you in your first steps towards being poor in spirit. Follow him. If you are alarmed at how little you mourn over your sin and brokenness, that is the Holy Spirit leading you in your first steps towards mourning over sin and brokenness. Follow him. If you are convicted by how not meek you are, that is the Holy Spirit leading you in your first steps towards being meek, follow him. 
If you are aching over how little you hunger and thirst for righteousness, that is hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you are fearful about how little mercy you give and how little mercy you deserve, that is the taste of mercy. Lean on him. If you are sad because you want to see God more than you do, that is evidence of a pure heart. Look at him. If you are feeling the tension of wanting to make peace, but also live your holy convictions, that is evidence that you are a reborn son of the living God. Learn from him. If you are wondering if you are living for Jesus' sake because you're not sure if you're getting persecuted, that means your eyes are towards your reward in heaven. Keep your eyes on him. Kingdom people aren't perfect people. They are resurrected people. And Jesus has painted for us a picture of who we cannot be in our own strength so that he can show us who we are called to be by his grace. As kingdom people, what do we do with this list? Go out and do it? Don't even try. If you're like me and you think, I got a long to-do list of things I got to muster up some strength to, you have missed the whole point. You've missed the whole point that Jesus is trying to make in all of this. Christian living, being kingdom people, it's all about living in his grace. If you read through the Beatitudes and you think, I can't do that, you're reading it right. If you're reading through the Beatitudes and you think, I must need to walk with Jesus every day, you're reading it right. If you're reading the Beatitudes and thinking, my God, I need your grace in my life, you are reading it right. You are hearing the voice of God. You are seeing the face of God. You are tasting the presence of God, and he is drawing you near to him. Every day, one thing at a time. The reality is that if you are in Christ, this man is in you. This man who longs to live for God, this man who longs to live out this beatitude, this man who longs to walk in this way, he is in you. And a kingdom people are people who just grow in that every day. Every day, one day at a time, submitting to the discipline of the Father, walking in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and following the model of the Son. This is what a kingdom people look like. And as we were worshiping this morning, all I could think of was, this is a kingdom people. You are a kingdom people. We are kingdom people. This isn't something for us to go out and do in our own strength and hang over each other's heads when we fall short of it. This is who we are. This is who we are by the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is who we are by the gift of salvation. This is the people we are supposed to see in one another. This is the things that we are supposed to call out in one another. These are the things we are supposed to celebrate in one another, to build each other up, to call each other into it. I'm praying, God, open our eyes to see what you have put inside of us. Teach us that, like Colossians says, you are dead to sin. Now put it to death. It's this truth intention. I have been absolutely re reborn, remade. The old is gone. The new has come. I am a new creation. Praise the Lord. And now every day I'm putting that man to death. Walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to stand as we finish our time this morning. 
we are going to end our time worshiping, and I want to pray for you as we wrap up our time together. And I'm praying that you have heard the voice of God clearly this morning. The way you can know if you've heard the voice of God correctly so far this morning is if this makes you all want to look down at your feet, you didn't hear the voice right. What Jesus has done for you is he has cast a vision out in front of you of who he remade you to be, who he knows you can be, who he says you are, and what he wants to teach you to be. I'm praying that we would all lift our heads by the grace of Jesus this morning. We would hear his voice, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and power to walk, not alone, but together as kingdom people, living out this kingdom society and revealing Jesus to the whole world. We're gonna have our prayer team come on up as I pray. And um, we're gonna do kind of what we did last week was if you're gonna come up and be on the prayer team, why don't you go ahead and just be on this half of the room. You might be here this morning and realize there's just stuff I need to turn away from. I need to do something with God, but I don't know that I need to talk to anybody. We're just gonna kind of leave this half of the room open. Sometimes you just need to come up and move on what God's doing um, by yourself. And that's great. You might need to stay where you are. But if you need prayer for anything in your life, come and get it from somebody who loves you. You need healing repentance, miracles, whatever. Let's be a people who stand in faith in what God's calling us to be. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for the gift of salvation. And we stand in your immeasurable grace right now. We're asking that you would give us eyes to see this vision that you have cast for us and that you would come and fill us Holy Spirit. Teach us to leave everything behind that needs to be left behind and come running into this amazing kingdom. Teach us in Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together.